Welcome, marketing interns, to Washington Den 2.0. Before we get off, get after this podcast, let me start off by giving you a little ad read. Today's sponsor is Skyline Specs, an urban lifestyle brand that connects people to their local community. They do this by engraving major city skylines on every pair of their premium wooden sunglasses. These sunglasses are UV 400 polarized and they come in a variety of handmade styles. Since I've gotten my first pair from Scott Ballard, a friend of the program, I have not stopped wearing it. Declan's wearing them right now. I mean, they are phenomenal. I pass them to every single friend because they look at them. They're like, wow, those are really cool. And then they put them on and then their day is just even brightened and enhanced. The polarized, that's phenomenal sunglass. The second they put them on, they're like, wow, they're polarized too, as if they're shocked. Well, don't be shocked about these folks because these are phenomenal sunglasses. We love them. The back pocket supports them. Hell, they're our sponsor. So go ahead and head over to SkylineSpecs.com and get yourself a pair. If you use promo back pocket, you all know how to spell that, B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E-T. We'll give you 10% off and you're just going to love them and you're just going to have a nice cheap pair of sunglasses, affordable for all the college kids and poor hipsters out there. It's a great opportunity. So go get after it, SkylineSpecs.com. Go ahead and follow them on Instagram for any sort of giveaways. They're doing them at least two to three times a, a month. And trapping a puck on that and getting to our favorite part, a little promo for promo. This week, Declan's going to take us to PT Coffee Cast presented by The Movement. So let me give you a little information about these guys. The PT Coffee Cast is just two physical therapy students trying to find their direction in the rehab world, all while consuming as much coffee as humanly possible, no matter the hour. Absolutely bold. These guys, William Nicholson and Dalton Lino. I hope I'm saying that right. Their goal is to expose the truth about physical therapy, about the physical therapy world to both their fellow students and the public by having conversations with a wide variety of amazing people. You can find their podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, and if you want to learn more about them, go ahead and give them a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Personally, we followed them a couple weeks ago. These guys are phenomenal dudes, very knowledgeable, in the same sort of grind as us in school or in a full-time job doing this podcast on the side, trying to grind to make it their full-time job. We respect these guys, so go give them a listen. They're a good time. Now, kick that intro music. Today is June 4th, and the boys from the back pocket are here in Colfax Avenue, Minneapolis, Minnesota, at Washington Den 2.0. Declan Brown, how are we? I love this new place. It's phenomenal. I'm so excited for this episode. Let's get after it today. Andy installs, Decky installs, Handy Andy, Decky tables, Decky chairs. We got everything in this room right now, and let me tell you, our average quality is just being handymen around the house. My goodness. My goodness, could it have been another ebb and flow, trial and error, strikes and gutter moment for us? I mean, things were falling, things were being placed correctly, and then you'd be like, eh, I think they go over here. Our house is, I consider it close to a mansion. I mean, it's just way too big for five guys that have just gotten out of college. We don't have that many things. We don't have furniture. No. I had to go and buy a desk because I had too much room in my room, not to brag. 
So Andy Nails and Decky Hammers were going full force out there trying to figure out the best method to the madness. And I mean, you're seeing right now in this room, um, for those of you watching on YouTube, go ahead, if you're not, go to YouTube on our channel and watch our um, the beautiful scenery. The beautiful scenery, because look at this. This is a new st- new setup right here. We realize we don't have that much stuff because this room is not nearly full enough. So we're looking for more stuff. Yeah, so if you have anything, and we'll post this on Instagram and Facebook and everything so you guys can all see it. But if you guys have anything that you want to get rid of that would be worth our time, DM us, reach out to us. We'll send you our address, and you guys just go send it, man. Or if you're in the local area, we may even just come pick it up or you drop it off. Hearsay, mm-hmm. vice versa. Who knows? We have prime location right over here and there. And right up here. And then we also are looking for an eye grabber there, right, when someone walks in the door, like when our guests, you know. Yes. But I think what we have now, the feng shui is phenomenal. We are killing it. We have these new chairs, these very nice new chairs. Mm-hmm. Andrew, where'd you get these? Uh, these were my parents' uh, lawn chairs that go in the backyard, so they're a little dirty on the bottom, but I tried to wipe them down. Yeah, um, right. Mom and Dad, thank you for supplying. Oh, so the feng shui, you know, is wildly average because uh, Skyline Stack sign just fi- fell down. That's that's no worries. Though. We'll figure it. We'll fix that after the episode. Yes. Anyways, what were we saying? Lawn chairs in the backyard. Yep, mom and dad, thank you for supplying, um, unknowingly supplying the podcast room chairs. We, we, we might be looking for more chairs. So marketing interns, if you want to send us some chairs, that we'll, would be helpful as well. We'll use them. Yeah, we're not going to say no to some more chairs mm-hmm. because we do need one more chair, a throne for our special guest, the not so average guests that we have on. And when they come in the studio, that's always a big deal. Now, uh, I mean, we have AC in this room, but it's still going to be hot because we have to turn the AC off is what we found out. But that's never going not, not to be too much of an issue here. No, it's got good insulation. We're not going to be heating up too much as we were in Washington 1.0, the OG Washington. Um, the other kind of downside is, as you can see, we don't have a door. So we'll probably put up a curtain there. Yeah, we, we just, we're trying to look for optimal sound quality, and it's a trial and error process. Again, yeah. we're never going to be perfect on our first try, but embracing that that struggle is going to make us better for the second time. You know, when we set up this room and add new things from one to two, two to three, three to four, those weeks, it's just gonna the it's just gonna be a snowball effect. This room's going to be guaranteed the best podcast room in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first, folks. And speaking of struggles, mm. I mean, Charles Darwin was the king of realizing that species struggle enough to get weeded out. And some species are too dominant and weed out the struggling species. Mm. And, and this, some species are just average and they stay even keel the whole time and just breed and have a good time and stay in, in a nice middle ground. Probably like a fly. Yeah, flies, maybe mosquitoes because they come and go every year. Mm-hmm. Winter they're gone, summer they're here. Mm. Every year they every do year, it. Every year, without fail. But uh, in your average day, you, you see the same thing that Charles Darwin was going through. And we've tried to an- analyze it ourselves. And this week's interviewee, Matt Berg, kind of helped us um, have a little more sensory acuity. And we began to realize the importance of sleep. We already knew it with Dr. Pritchard, but... Th- Matt Berg took it to another level because we kind of knew our foundation, so we asked a little bit more influential questions that kind of sparked better conversation. And uh, this week, I believe there's an evolution update with sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Getting right into it, the sleep habits that sleep doctors like Matt Berg preach day in and day out, it's just weeding out the weak. So not getting good sleep, it's going to lower your t- testosterone, it's, pro- it's going to give you a higher probability of cancer, slower reaction times increased probability of car accidents, 
And it's as simple as getting eight hours. And I just started work, my full-time work this week. And I have to be at work sometimes early as five o'clock. If I'm going to bed at nine o'clock, I'm getting seven hours, I think. Let me count that real quick. Yeah, so if I go to bed at nine, then I get eight hours of sleep. Whose man's is going to bed at nine o'clock? We were just in college where we were staying up. How late did you stay up on average every night? I was closer to midnight. Midnight, yeah. I went to bed around midnight every night, and I'd wake up at nine. So I'd get, like, guaranteed nine no matter what. I can't be doing that anymore, so now I'm waking up at five. I have to totally adjust my schedule. Right now I'm having struggle going even getting into bed at ten. So I'm already below the eight. Hopefully I'm not getting in car accidents, but I need to – I have an evolutionary update on myself. Hands raised, guilty as charged on myself. Not looking good. I right mean, now. It, it's the science of what scares me most is like – the aging process of you getting less sleep, if you're getting six hours and less versus getting eight hours or more of the health of the individual, like if you're 20 years old and you're getting less than six hours, you have the health um, immune system of a 60-year-old. Yeah. And it's like you're just destroying your body and all you need to do is sleep. Just get in your bed. Just get in bed. Close just your eyes. Just close your eyes and just, just go to bed. Maybe put on our podcast. Are, yeah, put on our podcast when you go to bed because that's going to make you go to bed. We'd love for people to do that and maybe fall asleep after the back end. So when the podcast is over. Proper sleep, but then there's the other side of the table. There's the people that stand out, that move forward. This is the true evolution update. These are the people you, you see sitting here today. These are the people getting proper sleep and have been getting proper sleep for a long time. Yeah. We are the Rockefellers. So the people that get sleep, the eight hours, are the guys making monopolies in the oil business like Rockefeller did. I think that's who it was. I'm not entirely sure. But we could be the Rockefellers. We could be the Monopoly boys of the podcast game if we get our eight hours, if we commit to that. I think anybody, Steve Jobs probably got his eight hours. Uh, Bill Gates, sure. We can get, the list goes on. The people before us definitely got eight hours because um, science says, and you can fact check me if you want marketing interns, but when you get proper sleep, eight hours or more, eight to ten hours is the is the proper range, you're more fertile. So simple, those people, plain and simple. You we're here because the people before us were getting proper sleep because they were fertile. Our forefathers built us and made us who we are because they were more fertile because they got sleep. So think about that. Think about your future kids and what they would want for you. And they're going to want you to get 8 to 10 hours of sleep. Let's also not forget that sleep is also the best natural steroid in the game right now. If, if you're a fighter or someone looking to get yoked, even just looking for motivation, just trying to get that let's get after mentality every day, mm-hmm. sleep. If you're, typing, if you're typing at 80 words per minute and you want to type at 120 words per minute, what do you think you need? Eight hours of sleep. You don't need Adderall. You need coffee. You need sleep. So get it. In the midst of the evolution update, um, this is a hot topic. Millennials. Millennials are definitely a part of human evolution right now. Um, Some see it as an epidemic. Others see it uh, as a positive. Uh, For us, we are millennials in a big house with no Wi-Fi. Yes. So... We had to learn how to adjust. Yeah, two nights ago we played cards. Mm. We had a great time. Sitting by the fire. And well, well, we didn't have the fire, but imagine there's a fireplace mm-hmm. there, and we were sitting, playing cards. I had to learn a new game. I don't know what it was called, but it was fun. Euchre. Euchre. It was just an absolute blast. Another thing we did was we played DVDs, because you can do that without Wi-Fi. Yeah, you can play DVDs without Wi-Fi, maybe even a VHS. Um, also, not to mention, we're not alone here. 
uh, we are next to a bunch of poor hipsters, and they are also millennials. Allegedly. I mean, Allegedly. This, is, this is something that we're throwing a tag on after three days of living here. We do, we do know for a fact they're hipsters. Yeah. They may be saving money and being savvy. But By all pack, packing like sardines into yeah. like 10 people to a house. Maybe these guys next door, maybe they listen and they're like, oh, man, we should probably go clarify this. But we allegedly there's probably 10 people in this house, roughly the same size as ours. And they all live individually. They all each have individual mailboxes. So flags are being raised. Andrew and I have no idea what's going on. But what we can determine is these guys might be poor hipsters. Yep. And, I mean, we this also this demographic is kind of just like really cool over here in Uptown. We have um, way too many tattoo parlors, mm. way too many coffee shops, and probably way too many liquor stores. I think those three things are like – and it goes – Coffee shop, liquor store, tattoo parlor. Coffee shop, liquor store, tattoo parlor. Just over and over, over, over again. Yeah. All the way down Hennepin. Yeah. Unbelievable. I've seen a lot of uh, – there's a there's a mix of just old people. And that's not a bad thing, but it's like why are you living in Uptown? Like mm-hmm. I feel like Uptown used to be like a really high-class, pristine area. By like Lake Calhoun. By like Lake Calhoun, like living on – like obviously there are people over there still mm-hmm. that have those really nice houses. But like off the beaten path a little bit. There are these houses that are still massive, but I feel like all the rich people moved out, and so they're just not here anymore. So, I mean, but, or most most of them did, and then all the people that just, like, couldn't find a new house to live in, they're still here just caning around, riding their bikes. Figuring super it out. Super narrow, uh, what do you call them, streets. That's tough. In a lot the, of bikers. In the winter, this is going to be a struggle. Yeah. I'm really these streets are not, like like perfect for plowing it's very like obstacle induced for these plows to get through yeah and regardless are we gonna survive are we gonna survive in uptown are we the survival of the fittest are we the fittest in uptown as podcasters as full-time guys as uh, as just dudes as average guys are we gonna make it you guys let us know maybe i reach out if you have any uh big concerns because obviously andrew and i are in a in a really interesting transition period right now so we have no idea what the hell is going on there's like water going on in the background. Were you expecting this? No, I think someone's taking a shower. So we, oh, have, we have the water pipe right we here. We may have to institute a no shower rule while we're podcasting. Yeah, we'll check out the audio quality afterwards. All so, right, let's just let. That's almost pleasing. It's, it's a little for soothing. the people that are sleeping. Mm-hmm. That might be a good sound. So, anyways, transitioning before this water gets comes into the room. I don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, Let's get to our interview. So Matt Berg, we kind of talked about him earlier. We talked all since Andrew and I are a little more educated sleep guys. Thank you, Roxanne Pritchard. Go check out that podcast if you haven't listened to it already. But we got into real deep the nooks and crannies of dreams of sleep. We even went into some concussion stuff because Matt Berg did a lot of research in concussions when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, this guy, Pure Somni, is his company that he runs, and it's just a phenomenal company. Its its platform is based on what we kind of had the interview about. Its platform is all about educating the population about the importance of sleep, and then it gives you an app and it gives you uh, things to follow on their website to allow you to get maximum and optimal sleep because it is just as important as drinking water, as eating the proper foods. You need to keep sleep as a high priority. I'm speaking to every single person on this planet listening to this podcast, and I know there's a lot of you. Get proper sleep. Matt Berg will appreciate it. We will appreciate it. Enjoy. 
marketing interns. We got a huge guest today. We got Matt Berg, the co-founder, or maybe just the founder, the CEO, whatever you want to call him. He's a part of Pure Somni, a sleep uh, company that's working on giving people uh, a platform platform for people to help sleep and uh, providing you with monthly deals and packages to help you get to bed every single night. Matt Berg, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And let's get right to it. I mean, my favorite question is the first question we ask, and it's what's your average quality? It's We like to take it as some things that we do well, some things we don't do well, but at the end of the day, we're just an average person at it. So let's kick it off. Matt, what is your average quality? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think my average quality, uh, I'd say maybe just like persistence. I don't know, maybe like a good way and bad way. I seem to spend too much time on things for one reason or another, and that could be like to my good and to my bad. I sort of have a hard time stopping something once I started, so that can work in good ways and bad, I guess. That would be my answer to that, so... I think we spend way too much time on this podcast, um, and our school (laughs) suffers, but... Luckily for us, we're graduated at this point, and we are, the, the grades we have are the grades we have, and uh, you know we have jobs too, but again, yeah, sometimes we're persistent on the podcast. That could be good and bad. Mm-hmm. There you go. Great example. <laughs> uh, so with Somni, uh, for our marketing interns who don't know necessarily what it is, if you could provide a little bit of a background of what Somni is all about and maybe get into the story of how it started. Yeah, so I think, you know, since this is sort of uh, a lot of probably college students listening to this, it might be good to start the backstory. You know, uh, I went to school at Notre Dame and, you know, I was very, you know, busy there all the time with, with school and work and sports and it turned out that, you know, after three and a half years of not sleeping well, they were just sort of putting sleep to the side or on the back burner as this sort of commodity or things that you're just trying to sort of get rid of in your daily schedule so you can fit other things in. They finally caught up with me and about midway through my senior year, I had basically a terrible health crisis. And I had to back trace it, and it, and it turns out it was from chronic sleep deprivation. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was luck or sort of serendipity, or I just maybe knew it subconsciously or at some level that I just was making these sort of poor decisions when it came to sleep all the time, you know, just staying up late, you know, kind of pushing the candle at both ends. You know, a lot of times typical cultural college behavior I was sort of buying into. And this, uh, you know, I, this really just caught up with me. Anyways, ended up enrolling in this course, all the sleeping brain and what's happening, and you know, read some of these sort of what you call these intro texts on sleep neuroscience, which I had never sort of been exposed to before. And, uh, you know, I can pass you guys some notes if you want for readers or listeners after. But there's some really great books out there, and it just totally changed my my view on this thing. You know, the brain is doing so many things for you at night, and it's it's really one of the most valuable times you have during, like, a 24-hour cycle. So, you know, with that, I... Um, you know, I kind of realized, I, you know, I fixed my sleep and then I was like, oh my God, this stuff is amazing. You know, why, why aren't more people taking this stuff seriously? Why don't people have tools to use this, you know, resources to, to make changes or just be aware of this? And um, from there we said, you know, I got some buddies together, we started this company. And so we said, is there a way to fix this for other college students who are going through this problem? And, uh, you know, lo and behold, we, we, uh, we found out very quickly we're not the only college students struggling with this. So, uh, you know, we would do sort of campus events and, and they would sell out, you know, with the biggest rooms we could find. And we would do these sort of um, uh, uh, events on sleep and we'd hand out products and information and content. And that's how we got started um, before, you know, much earlier than we were today. They were very much early prototype products, I would say. Um, and, you know, then we got picked up by Arnold Huffington and we wanted this big college tour across the country. So we hit probably like 20 universities 
Um, University of Minnesota. Can you you mention that a little, expand on that a little more? So you met the founder of Huffington, um, and then she was able to help you tour to different universities. How, How did that work? Yeah, so uh, at the time, we had written a piece. So I, we had done some, like, sort of basically writing for um, having to post. I had written a piece for them in terms of, you know, what we were working on and just sort of, like, putting it out there. So we wanted to share sort of what we were doing. And we just got really lucky because at the time, she had written this book called The Sleep Revolution, which is this really great book all on sleep. And I highly recommend it. It's, it's like, a very good introductory text to sleep. Uh, and where she basically just interviews almost you know, most of the experts in the sleep field and, and gets their opinions on various things from like sleep and um, emotional health, sleep and cognitive performance, you know, sleep deprivation, you know, she had a sleep crisis herself when she was building the Huffington Post. And um, sort of basically she was saying, we're going to go on tour to all these college campuses to promote this book because we think college students are the next important generation to get this in front of because it's sort of like the working, current working generation is a little too late. Like the window is kind of closed, if you will. Um, and we want to get it, get earlier. And so that's, and then they were like, do you want to join us as a product partner? So because we're sort of like a, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a tangential product to what they were doing, it was very much geared towards college students at the time. And it still is. And, um, uh, yeah, so we went with them to like all these universities across the country and yeah, we're right down the street at university of Minnesota. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, and that's that. Sorry, did I answer that question? Or is there no, you did. Crush it. Cool. Um, yeah, so, and then from there we went and <clears throat> we, we quickly realized after that that, you know, when we had some success with college students, that, that this is a much broader problem. And so we really went back to work on the product and refining that and um, opening this up to more, many more um, channels. And so what Somni is right now and what it's, what it's evolved to be is what we call a, um, a sleep behavioral health uh, program. And the way this works at a high level is we have two different products. Um, one is sort of um, do-it-yourself, and one is our concierge or sort of our flagship product. But at high level, we do is sleep data with physical products and educational-based content and then a human coach. And that's all wrapped into a, a four- to six-week program where we, we really work heavily on meaningful uh, behavior change and lifestyle change, essentially. And it's all measured, so we are, we're always tracking the results and, the, and the, um, the improvements and things like that. And so uh, what it's designed to do is get you from you know very poor sleep to great sleep without ever having to purchase a new mattress or go see a doctor or get a sleeping pill. Um, and, and, and we really see it as addressing sort of like the low-hanging fruits in your life that are really important, but no one, no one really takes the time to fix. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what Tommy is right now. And we work with so many different groups now. It's, it's much more than universities. We do work with a ton of universities still, but now we've expanded our, our reach into, um, you know, uh, we've worked everywhere from, you know, athletic teams to uh, software companies to, um, you know, uh, animation studios, sort of everything in between. We, any folks who really need good sleep, we're, we're starting to work with. So it's been an interesting ride. And some of those... Uh, oh, go question. ahead. Um, so out of all those crazy different people, like that's a broad range of groups of people that you've been working with. Who yeah. is getting the best sleep? Who's getting the worst sleep? And like, what's the most surprising fact about one of those groups regarding sleep? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think by and large, college students are the worst. Um, they're just like atrocious sleepers. And, you know, you, you kind of know this anecdotally. Like, they're doing things that are, you know, they're sort of at this age where they're invincible, right? It's sort of like, oh, I can just keep pressing through and I'm, you know, I'm king of the world or whatever you want to call it, this, this very you know, can't stop, won't stop attitude. And, and that works for a while, but it does catch up with these, with these kids. Um, you know, 
So I think the college students are the worst, but they, they also show some of the most promise for improvement. We have tons of students who are who are aware of the issue and like really buy in and we're able to really work with them in, in our during like our, our behavioral health program. So um, you know, we have some of the highest like engagement rates and uh, you know, sort of measurable progress through college students. Um, I think to answer your question, what's the like one of the surprising the most surprising thing is sort of just seeing so many of these common patterns in people's lives. So like we get pretty in-depth looks um, during the during the programs, people give us their sleep data, you know, they tell us what's going on in their life, what's preventing them from sleeping, you know, we learn what's working, what's not working. And through that, we see a lot of like commonalities and it's sort of funny, it's like, it seems like at a high level, a lot of people are dealing with a lot of the same sort of pressures and stresses around sleep. And, you know, that's just like an interesting fact, I guess, that, that there's, you know, there's a lot of things that, we're all struggling with or, and, and there's, there's ways to fix it. And that's, I guess, a good thing at some level. So, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that we've learned through this sleep kind of movement of bringing awareness to the importance of it. One of uh, our professors, Dr. Roxanne Pritchard, who we had on the podcast, she came to our football team and really kickstarted what we learned to met today about sleep and how important it is. And really across all generations, people have put sleep on the back burner and not really put given it the precedent that it deserves. And you're talking about low-hanging fruits early on. What are some of those things outside of what we learned primarily of routine, getting to bed at the right time and waking up at the same time, keeping that as consistent as possible? What are some of the other low-hanging fruits? Yeah, that's a really good question. So a lot of the stuff we address in, in our four- to six-week program is, if you think about it like um, a ladder. So if you think of like fixing sleep as a ladder, and you have to go through like each rung while you're sort of working on it, and that's just the way we think about it from a design perspective. But we think sort of addressing these lower-hanging fruits is really important, and I'll get into a bunch of ideas before you jump to go and maybe see a doctor or buy a new mattress. Because the reality is if you don't fix the low-hanging fruits, the, the, the higher-order stuff is still going to fall to the floor and collapse if you don't get the, the base right, um, if that makes sense. So you kind of got to go through like, the foundational work first, and then you can, if you're still not working, then you can go and you know figure out something else. But some of the stuff we really see a lot of success with are a couple things. So a big big one is light at night. So um, And not just any light, but blue light. So blue light is, um, is very suppressive for melatonin production, which is a sleep hormone. So your brain starts to produce melatonin uh, in the later hours of the day when it starts to become dusk. And this is just an evolutionary mechanism to help you fall asleep. And there's a lot of sort of thoughts behind this, but at a high level, it's thought to believe that, you know, when you see blue light during the day, that's sort of um, over, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of years, it's the brain's way of saying it's, it's time for daytime and it's not time to be asleep. And so therefore we want to suppress melatonin production and not be asleep, you know, which makes sense. And that's one that we see really big. So, so cutting off screen time late at night and being very cognizant of the lights you use in your room. So like a lot of these light bulbs can emit blue lights, your screens, your phones, things like that. You know, we offer some products in our kits that help with this, some blue light blocking glasses that are really great at night for wearing. Um, that's a big one. Uh, the power of naps. So naps are incredibly valuable. So uh, the right nap um, structured throughout the day can be a great um, cognitive enhancer. Um, so all things like learning, memory, creativity, insights, uh, most higher order cognitive tasks can benefit from a short nap um, of the right length during the right part of the day. Um, that's a really good one. Your, your guys' point of regularity and routine, really valuable. So going to bed and wake up at the same time, the brain loves that. And that's, that's mostly due to, um, you know, hormonal rhythms and trying to keep those consistent. And because they're kind of like, it's, it's, they're, they're slower to shift. So when you do shift them, if you can get them aligned the right way, that's, it seems to work. Um, 
what else? Uh, those are three of the big ones. Um, and then having a routine. I'd say just in general, having a, a structured routine at night that you start to teach the brain to sleep. So, you know, the brain can be just like anything sort of um, uh, like a setup for sleep, like a setup play almost. You know, it's, you know, what we find is that getting users um, connecting associations with a sleep routine um, can start to help trigger the sleep process and where every night you start to get in this rhythm um, and, and makes it easier to fall asleep. So those are the big ones I'd say. Mm-hmm. Some of, some of those uh, routines could be like reading a book or um, the when when you start to eat when you finish your meal that type of routine is that kind of what you're talking about like prior to going to bed exactly yeah so having something that it's sort of a structured wind down um, process uh, so yeah reading a book is great um, any sort of you know we recommend a lot of the, like some like light stretching sometimes yoga uh, meditation journaling. Um, those are, those are great, uh, sort of things to kind of just cap off the day and, and get ready for sleep. So you're not just transitioning from, you know, going like 90 miles an hour on say, sort of like the internet and then, um, switching and trying to switch off right to sleep. It just, your brain just doesn't seem to work that way. What we're finding is mm-hmm. it's just, they're sort of at odds with each other. So that makes sense. That's awesome. And it's, and it's clearly like with all the educated stuff that you've already provided, in these first couple minutes interviewing is you're passionate about this, you're knowledgeable about it, and you're continuing to just push that envelope. So really cool stuff that we're seeing from you already. Um, how have you been able to turn like your passion of sleep into a business? Yeah. So that was a bit of a, it's, it's a total learning experience. Um, I always tell people if you want to like just drink information through a fire hose, just start a company or start something like this, you know, uh, we started this, and I was, you know, I was, I was working in a, a sort of normal job. Or I, would, I would say not really. I guess not normal. We were doing drug, just drug just development over at um, the university before this, and then we got into this, and it was very much sort of when we bootstrapped uh, for for quite a while, and that was uh, out of a couple different sort of reasons, out of necessity, and also out of I think a really strong desire to build something that people want to pay us for right at the spot. So a lot of companies raise money, and, and they seem to go out of business within a few years, and. I think a large part of that is they're not profitable, and that's because they build things that no one wants. And so there's a sort of discipline around bootstrapping where you're sort of trying to have to learn as quickly as you can what's going to work and what's not going to work and then throw that out. Um, so for me, you know, like the passion piece was there. It was The next part was sort of finding the right people to work with um, to grow the, to build the business. So the core team, we had to sort of recruit and figure that out. Most of those people early on were my friends, uh, and we since sort of just – Grown into other connections and things like that um, to build up the team, but it's it's you know um, I, I think at the end of the day we sort of thought about it like this is a really important problem to solve. We think that there's, that there's a growing sort of awareness and trend in this space, and if we're thinking about kind of skating where the puck's going to be, it's in the sense of like people are using their phones and sort of the internet and, and sort of technology in ways to, to treat their health um, it, more than ever now. That you know we're coupling that that phenomenon with. The, the idea that sleep is sort of coming online is this, it's no longer a stepchild of exercise and nutrition. It's right there in the forefront and sort of trying to capitalize on both of those and, and be at the forefront of like sort of design and, and technology and health. And I think that was really exciting for us. And um, yeah, so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, um, it, it's brought with all sorts of different um, obstacles you have to overcome, but uh, I think it's well worth it. Yeah. So. Right on. Uh-huh. So, wait, do you have an app right now that we can yeah. plug? Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. what, what's it called? So if you just go to our website, it's called puresomni.com. Cool. Uh, that's P-U-R-E and then Somni. So Somni is a Latin word for sleep. Mm. Uh, that's O-M as in Matt, N as in Nancy, I.com. And uh, you can check it out there. 
Sick. That's awesome. Is there a phone app yet, or are you guys working on that still? So we're working on that right now. Um, cool. That'll, that should come out this year. Um, we've been really just trying. So most of our interfacing is through. Uh, you can interface through your phone. Uh, it's everything's responsive, but um, a lot of our users are. You know, they'll, they'll complete much of our much content through just the desktop, and uh, that's proven to work out like nicely for. Cool. That's awesome. Super cool. And with the technology hurdles, like this is something that we kind of deal with on a day-to-day basis with the podcast and other things. What were some of the things early on in the hiccups with getting your stuff on a platform that was user-friendly? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I have a background in chemistry and psychology. So, I, uh, so like, uh, development or coding was very new to me. Um, so, you quickly have to learn a couple things. You have to learn sort of what's out there and, and sort of what – what um, tools will fit uh, your sort of application needs um, and, then, and then build with that. So we quickly learned that, what was sort of available. And then um, it's also a bit of, of who's on your team and what they build in and what you guys want to build in for the long run. And so we picked um, a very sort of what you might call like a user. Uh, it's, a, it's a very sort of um, efficient way to get going. It's a technology stack called Ruby on Rails. Um, so Airbnb, Twitter, um, you know, um, some other big companies, a lot of health have been, been built on this. And it's a great framework for getting things up and going fast. Um, and we use that. So that was um, sort of a challenge we had to sort of sort through in the beginning. And then, and then it's trying to learn as fast as you can. So, you know, you're trying to learn, you know, these things are rapidly evolving, these technologies. So you're trying to set it, not only catch up, but learn. Um, and so that's trying to, you know, learn how to, uh, basically be to be a, a meaningful contributors is, is learning these new skill sets so you know development um managing a team of developers um you know thinking through sort of design aspects for that and all that sort of thing so right on and kind of transition a little bit pivot in this interview um to exactly the brain and how that works when you're sleeping that's something that i'm very curious about i kind of listened to um, a, a Joe Rogan podcast just a few weeks ago, and he had someone on that talked about how when you go to sleep, um, the only part of your brain that stops working is the frontal cortex, and then the rest of your brain is still going, it's still functioning. And I would just love to know a little bit more about that and how the brain works, if you could detail on that. Yeah, so I think the interview you're talking about is the one with Matthew Walker. Yes, right? that's the one. Yeah, so Matthew Walker's great. Uh, I would highly recommend his book, too. It's called Why Sleep, I believe. just came out, and it's a really good book. Uh, definitely uh, a good, again, intro. It's a little, a little deeper on the sleep side. You know, he's uh, he's fantastic, though. Yeah, so, but at night, um, this is one of the biggest things that caught me off guard, again, when I was when I was sort of had that aha moment. But I think the biggest misnomer about sleep is, and if there's one thing that I hope the listeners walk away with today, is that that sleep is a... You know, the brain state is highly active, and it's not something where it's just shut off. And this is uh, this is not a mistake. So evolution didn't this didn't occur by mistake. So that's another thing to think think about. So you know, uh, when you think through evolutionary processes or things that we've evolved to have over hundreds, uh, thousands, or millions of years, they're they're here right now for a reason, for the most part. And things like that are worth taking note of. So uh, the phenomenon of the brain being highly active at night is something that I, I don't think should be skirted to the side in, in the sense of 
oh, this is insignificant. I think it's actually highly significant because the brain is, is what it's doing um, is, is sort of recuperating for the next bout, right? It's getting ready for the next round, if you will. Um, you know, at Somni, we talk about something which is called the human recycle rate. So about every 16 hours or so is when the brain is sort of insaturated with the amount of information and decisions it can make, and it starts to, I would say, cognitively uh, decline. So, you know, you take anyone across any sort of higher order of cognitive tasks without sort of any sort of external stimulants or drugs or performance enhancers, and you see that after about 16 hours, you see this downward slope on any sort of human performance task. And this is really interesting in the sense of <clears throat> this is sort of the brain's way of saying, you know, I'm done for now. I need to, to recoup. Um, and to go back to your question of, you know, what's happening um, throughout the brain at night, there's, there's at a high level, there's five stages of sleep that the brain is cycling through. So it goes from uh, rapid eye movement sleep all the way through uh, stages one through four, um, non-rapid eye movement sleep. And uh, these, this cycling through all five of these stages happens um, every, about every 90 minutes. The brain makes a complete cycle. And so this is a very repeatable pattern. This is another very interesting phenomenon where in most people it's about a 90-minute window. So, you know, you have these different measurable states of brain activity occurring every 90 minutes in, like, almost all humans. That's, like, a really interesting thing, you know? Uh, and so <clears throat> I, I just think... Um, at a high level, it's, it's, it's really important to know that the brain is going through these different cycles, and each of the, the different stages have it, it meaning. So, um, not, you know, rapid eye movement sleep, which is commonly for as dream sleep, is the lightest stage of sleep. and something you slip into uh, right away, and then it goes, you know, non-rapid eye movement sleep, stages one through four. And, stages, and stage four is the deepest sleep. So that's that sleep where if you've ever woken up, you kind of feel like you've been hit in the head with a bat, and you're like, why, why am I like this? Um, that's, that's typically you've woken up in the middle of a sleep cycle, you know, uh, and it's 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 not your fault. It's just you you're in the middle of a, um, a a phase where your brain's neurochemistry is totally different than what it is when you're awake. And so that's another really significant point I think I want to make is that um, all the literature um, on on sleeping states seem to indicate really really active brain chemistry. So the 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 chemicals in the brain are 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 very much um, altered during during stages of sleep versus wakefulness, and that's again supporting a host of functions the brain's doing for recovery, repair, and restoration, if you will, um, for the next um, go at life. So that is a lot of information. Yeah, that's so cool. That is super cool. I want to go into like those stages. So the rapid eye movement is light sleep. Um, and when you do wake up in that, that's like just initial sleep and you won't feel necessarily groggy during that time or would you? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things we say at Sunday is the nap, napping time should be the 20 or 90 minutes. Um, and so hopefully that's kind of starting to um, clarify a little bit. But the 90 minutes is um, you allow the brain to get through a full sleep cycle. So you wake up refreshed. You, don't, you wake up in the lighter stage of sleep, which is the, um, the REM stage. Um, and the 20 minutes is, is you're just dipping into rapid eye movement sleep and you're getting some of those benefits um, that rapid eye movement sleep allows, but not, not too groggy. So you can wake back up. And um, so we really recommend the 20 minute nap when the, the rapid eye movement sleep is, is, is really connected with um, a whole host of uh, frontal cortex um, processes that, that stand to be improved. So all sorts of things, again, around like creativity and memory formation and, and learning. And they, those occur in other stages of sleep too, but there's sort of this free-form association that's going on, during, it seems like, during um, uh, rapid eye movement sleep where ideas are being mixed and mashed together. You know, that's, you know if you woke up from a crazy dream, that's, that's sort of what's going on. You know, there's sort of this um, sort of bending of reality, if you will. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's what's happening in REM, typically. That's super cool. How does uh, – I'm saying a lot of cool. i got to stop that. Um, 
why do we so why do we dream and like why do they vary from night to night so i know you mentioned in rem sleep that's where dreams occur how do those occur and then why do they vary so much yeah, so I'm not a dreaming expert, and we don't spend a ton of time on dreaming at Somni out of, this, out of the fact that it's um, it's a very seemingly like complicated subject. Um, not that sleep isn't complicated, but dreaming is like a subset of sleep that's really sort of to be studied. Uh, what I know to date um, from my experience of just you know interfacing with sleep doctors and reading the literature is that uh, there's some, um, uh, I, I guess would you call it sort of... Um, regional activation of, of the brain that's occurring. So different parts of the brain are activated during REM sleep than during wakefulness. And those different activated centers are communicating with themselves in ways that they can't during wakefulness. So new patterns are occurring, basically. And um, and with that comes the reactivation um, and recall of, of memories in, in a non-orderly sort of fashion. Um, and they're sort of mixed and mashed. And, um, you know, much with, I think, uh, there's a lot of theories on this, but and, I, and I'm not sort of setting the, the, the truth here because um, I don't know it, and I don't think anyone really knows it yet. But I, I think there's there's a couple camps of thought on this, but you know I know one of them is that um, the reason they're so different is that there's sort of reactivation of memories occurring and um, new associations of, of memories occurring. So the brain is restructuring information in novel ways, and this, this is sort of um, thought to be, again, like one of these unique human characteristics where, and not just unique to humans, but animals do it too, but creatively being able to solve for problems is like one of our greatest strengths. Um, and so, you, you know, you, we, a lot of that is thought to occur during sleep. So, yeah. Okay. And then that, that type of stuff is happening in probably stages two and three. Is that? Yeah. So, I mean, some of these things bleed over into the other stages. Sure. Um, uh, the non non rapid eye movement stages. Um, there's a whole host of sort of immune and physical uh, restoration functions going on. Okay. There's also things going on in the brain, certainly. Um, but uh, there's there's yeah there's there's much um, more of a whole body sort of um, chemistry occurring in those deeper stages. I should add too about um, REM sleep is that the body is actually paralyzed. So um, you're you're essentially in a, a form of like from the neck down sort of self-induced paralysis so you're not able to like act out your dreams um as, and it's like it's for good reason you know there's like some crazy dreams you have and uh <laughs> but there's like there's actually like a like a blockage that occurs um in the spinal cord and um shuts off the the from your sort of neck down so you you're sort of immobilized if you will um in that that state which is super fascinating um so this might be a dumb brain question um so what? How does sleepwalking work if you're if you're paralyzed when you're in REM? Yeah, good question. So that might just be like a lack of like ability to fully paralyze. Like there's something the shut off mechanism not working. I don't really know to be honest with that. That's not something we spend a lot of time on. But um, that would just be like my initial thought on that. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. So good question. Yeah. So working through those ninety minutes again. So the first three stages is when you could be tossing and turning um, while you're sleeping because the REM paralyzation has not necessarily kicked in and then you finish your REM sleep and you go through that cycle again and then you may be tossing and turning is that correct yes yeah, so that's so I, I um so I'm let me clarify that so the way we think about it um is just that there's so you start in REM sleep and then you'll drop through to stages one two three four okay uh, or being the deepest and then you'll reascend so you'll go back to three two one and then back into REM so you're sort of like going down and then back up if you will mm-hmm. 
Um, like a and, sine wave. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. So it's like a yeah, like a sine sine wave function. Or something. Sine or cosine for all the math nerds out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Is there? Should we ask him the evidence one? Um, no, I don't necessarily think we have to. Okay, cool. But I'm really curious to hear about, this was kind of something that, again, I heard in the Matthew Walker, um, interview, but if you could touch on like the body temperature of when to, when like your body wants to sleep versus if it's too cold or too hot, what are, what are you looking for ideally when you're about to go to sleep or, and during sleep? Yeah. So we recommend at Somni, uh, one of the things we sort of, we sort of settled on is this temperature that we, we think is idyllic, which is around 65 degrees. Mm. Um, now this is right for everyone. And there's a lot of sort of, um, thoughts on this. You know, I, I always, I always like in, uh, inclined to look at the research first and then, and then look to like light and like what's happening in reality next, you know, because research is great, but there's also some things that aren't necessarily repeatable all the time. So, on a person-to-person basis, this is also sort of a bit subjective. But um, the temperature scene thing, you know, what we what we sort of have a working model is, is that there's some, uh, you know, decreased temperature helps with sleep um, for most people, and that there are certain things you can do to um, sort of, you know, jumpstart yourself into that into that sort of cooler temperature. So things like, um, you know, any, any sort of water on your body will, if it will warm you up and then cool you down with, you know, through evaporation on your skin, that can cool you down and help you get to sleep. Um, but generally speaking, like a lower temperature seems to help with sleep. And I, I don't, I don't think there's like a ton of science or specificness around this. I mean, there's, there's definitely data on temperature and, and getting to sleep. Like if it's too hot, you won't sleep. If it's too cold, you won't sleep. Um, but there's, I think there's a bit of a um, play with the, with the 65 number for on an individual basis. Okay. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we recently learned that, you know, taking a warm bath before going to sleep, um, helps not because of like the warm bath and like cooling yourself down of what you might think it would be, but because when you get out of the bathtub, that quick temperature transition going from like a warm bath to the cold air that cools the body off right away and uh, basically helps you, you know, get into that, you know, cooler temperature, that sleep mode. So that's kind of like what you're talking about with the water evaporate, water evaporation. Oh yeah, <clears throat> evaporation, evaporation of the to transition the body temperature. Yeah, totally, and uh, yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Yep. Okay. So yeah, uh, exactly. What are you talking about? Sweet. I kind of want to talk about this because we're football guys. We know you played football, and I really want to get into you studying the brain more than we could ever imagine to study the brain. We're small brain guys. Yeah, we we're like small to say brain that guys. <laughs> Um, but getting into football with the brain, uh, you've done research. Could you just touch on what you've learned so far? And then maybe you could touch on further with the recent findings of CT and all of that, uh, studies. Yeah, sure. So it's been a little bit since I was, I was, you know, up to my eyes on that, but while I was, um, back at Notre Dame, we were working with a group who were studying traumatic brain injury. And so it was, um, it was a biochemistry lab there. We were looking at, you know, the, the mechanism in the brain after a concussion and at a, at a cellular level. And so what's happening in the brain after a concussion is, is super fascinating. And it's super fascinating, one, because it's one of these injuries where you can't sort of see right away, like, the issue. You know, it's uh, with, with, like, a, a broken leg, you can see what's going on. Like, there's something that needs to be fixed right away. With a concussion you know, the injury is localized inside the skull, so it's, it's really hard to see the damage. Uh, you know, I was played football through college, and, you know, I, I love the game. But after I saw some of this, um, you know, 
the, the, the research and the data on the mechanism of concussion, I, I really started to take a, a second look. And so, you know, basically what was happening, what we're finding was that there's, you know, and this is, this is not us, this is not unique to us, there's many groups studying this in, in the world uh, now, but there is a sort of a, a cascade of inflammation that occurs after a concussion happens. So after the brain impacts the wall of the skull, um, or sort of compresses on itself, or is, is moving is moving inside, um, all the sort of connective tissue and the neurons and the supporting cells around the neurons are sort of shaken or, or damaged. And the brain's way of sort of like stopping that damage or, or fixing it is sort of to initiate this cascade of inflammation, um, where this can go on for weeks or months after concussion. So you can literally have the brain um, uh, working to, to sort of clean up this mess for months. And the way it cleans it up is the scary part. So, um, you know, there's all sorts of, it's, it's sort of when it figures out something might be damaged or dying, it'll just remove it. So there's sort of this deleterious effect going on um, where it's sort of, you know, there's sort of if a cell has died or has been damaged, then it's sort of time to go. And um, there's, you know, there's, the way we're looking at it, there was sort of this host of um, proteins that were involved in, in this inflammation response. And we were looking at ways to stop that essentially. So you can maybe mitigate that um, negative cascade or that negative inflammatory response because, you know, the, the brain sort of evolved to protect itself that way. But it turns out that uh, we thought at least the working model was that was maybe dangerous. Now, we, now that's still sort of... Um, I don't know where that group's at since I've left, um, but that was sort of what they were working on. But that sort of really made me think twice about, you know, football in the sense of, like, I love the sport, love to play it. But the reality was sort of the way we live right now is, you know, our brains um, are really our biggest asset. It's it's really like your ability to make decisions. It's your ability to... Um, to learn, to remember, to have relationships, to make money for the most part. Like we're not making money anymore based on like, you know, how many trees we can chop down for the most of us, right? Or how many bricks we can like lift. Like that is a thing still. Like they're not like any, by any means like knocking any of the like trades, but for the most part, you still have to like make good decisions and, 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 you know, be, be cognitively there. And for me, it was sort of like, oh my God, this, like this, this sport is like, you're just actively putting at risk your, your, your computer, like your your computer that you can't replace, and it's sort of like that. That for me was sort of like my kids are never gonna play football. I'm done playing football. Like this doesn't make any sense. And um, I, I think I think society will come around at some level, but I think it'll always exist. Like football is not going anywhere. Like it's still gonna be there. But I think I think once mothers start to realize this, there'll be like a sort of a the pipeline will dry up a little bit, if you will. But <laughs> once this reaches the housewife stage, we're all screwed. Right, right. <laughs> and I love football as much as the next person, but it just sort of became like there's there's like there's some hard truths here you just can't yeah. uh, That's crazy. What are some like I know you're talking cells that get removed, but just to like advance on that topic a little bit, like what exactly would be removed? Is that like memory? Is that um, cognitive function and that type of like cells that are being t- t- uh, recycled by the brain? Yeah, so uh, so it's been a little bit um, since I was again since I was super deep in this, but um, you know, still like you can think about um, there are certain areas of the brain that like work on certain problems or tasks or certain functions, um, but like it's largely hard to identify sort of where these areas like what exactly is damaged and like a a full on concussion from like something like football, you know, like there's sort of this giant like you can kind of pin like localize some areas or some sections of the brain. But for the most part, there's sort of this, um, you could, you could think of, yeah, degraded cognitive performance across a variety of tasks. So, I mean, if you look at anyone who's had a concussion or multiple concussions and you sort of, you know, pit them against, you know, others, um, who haven't, um, 
you know, there's there's typically degraded performance in things again like like recall tasks, um, you know, things like creative associations or memory inferences, where you're trying to like detect patterns and things like that. And um, this just this just happens from trauma to the brain, and it's and it's not like a surprise when you think about it. Like um, you just it's just I think we all as like a society have sort of glorified football so much where it's like we just don't want to think about it. It's sort of like just swept under the rug. Um, so yeah, that's that's the unfortunate downside I think. Okay. So, yeah. That's crazy. So how worried should we be about CT? Final question about concussions. Yeah, I would say I would say um, fairly concerned. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if it's enough to, like, panic about it, but I would, I would you know, it, it, the, the thing that is going to be really interesting about CT is the more information comes out is there's sort of, like, you know, humans are sort of, you know, very good at sort of cognitive dissonance where we, we know one thing but do another, right? We don't always act in our best self-interest from, like, a behavioral standpoint. And uh, this is this is sort of going to be one of those interesting phenomenons where we all know it's bad, but we keep doing it, sort of like cigarettes or something, or uh, you know, I don't know, driving without seatbelts. I'm just trying to think of other things that are sort of along these lines, um, or texting on the, on the phone, right? Like while we're driving, we all know that's a terrible thing, but like how many of us still do it regularly? You know, and I think this is sort of one of those though it falls into that category where there's so much glamour and um, money around the industry, and um, they, they've. Like, you know, it's a billion-dollar industry. I mean, that's going to be hard to, to knock, knock knock off. Those guys are going to go – they're not going to go lightly. You know, that's their, it's their piggy bank. So uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> It's brutal. It's the truth. I like to knock my – tip my hat that I was a safety – and uh, I I covered a lot of people, so I never I know I wasn't in the box. I wasn't banging my head every play. So I'm hoping, I'm praying that like the the serious side effects of CT that people are dealing with are not necessarily going to play in my life as necessarily as like an offensive lineman or a linebacker running back. Those guys are getting beaten and their heads are hitting the ground or hitting getting hit by another helmet constantly every other play. So. Hopefully, me being a safety helps. Um, what position did you play? Yeah, I think it does help. I think being a safety does help. Um, and I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, so a bit of a running back, but a slot receiver. So yeah, not okay. on the side of that receiving end. No. Um, <laughs> I was a linebacker, so unlike you two guys, I might be screwed. Um, yeah. Hopefully not. I mean, to be honest with you, though, like going on off of my football career, looking back on it, I never had a reported concussion. However, looking back at and reflecting on you know the times that I did feel like I got my bell rung, there are multiple times when I was a little kid, not as many times in high school, but like a significant amount of times in college, like it, because the hits are so much harder, but like it's all based on the experience, I think for my end is like I had already had those experience of getting my bell rung and like having helping myself recover from that. Like, I'd already had that experience, so I kind of just knocked it off as like, oh, this is just another one of those, and it kind of just kept building and building. So I never had a reported concussion, but again, I'm still kind of worried because I had these instances of, well, if we look at it now, that might have been a concussion. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you're sort of like um, sensitized to it. I like rationalized sort of. pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. that too. Yeah, I think we all do that at some level, right? There's just there's just very much like you need to be tough, right, in football, and yeah. you need to uh, just be... You know, there's no such thing like pain is. You, you, I don't know those things like uh, my something hurts is sort of like football. You're like not supposed to do that, right? Rub some so dirt I, on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throw some dirt on it. It's, it's this very sort of like you know, it's, it's almost like brutality like culture yeah. there. It's, it's fine at some level like for competitive for competing, but I think yeah, it doesn't doesn't help a lot of a lot of kids. You know, the thing we we I always thought about when I was doing this work was 
think about all the, the kids who might be, you know, there's tons of kids who play football growing up and they're like developing brains. Like, are we missing out on Einstein's and like Feynman's or Da Vinci's or like, like really world-class thinkers that come, come along once in a blue moon? I don't think we're like, like that, not that many people are playing football, but like other things like soccer maybe where they're heading a lot or hockey, lacrosse. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. That's super interesting to think about because yeah, as a society, you could, one could argue every kid plays soccer when they're little, you know, someone is involved in a sport and your head gets hit every once in a while. You could make the argument that everyone's like slowly getting a little less cognitively, cognitively able to be these, you know, Da Vinci's and Einstein's. That's very interesting. Oh, it scares me. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) just the reality though so it's good i think the, all that we can do is same thing kind of with sleep is just bringing awareness and like in, improving the science behind it and that will hopefully snowball effect um everything in the future gotta use that word it's my favorite word <laughs> i love snowballs i also love games yes um so we got a game for you uh sweet transition mm-hmm. uh it's called would you rather i don't know if you've ever played before maybe it's been 20 years um but we're gonna do a little different so we are going to say, would you rather get eight hours of sleep, which is the industry standard right now for sleep, um, or be a part of history and only get like four or five hours, you know, something that would maybe derail you the next day. So Andrew's going to start with us and then we'll just kind of roll and give us your answer. Maybe a couple hot takes, maybe a couple thoughts. Okay. So first, would you rather it's game seven of the NBA finals and LeBron's playing against the Golden State Warriors and LeBron's been playing really well this series. And you really want to stay up and watch him hit the game-winning shot because you know he will. Would you rather watch this eight out, watch him hit the game-winning shot and not get eight hours? Probably get only four hours, or would you rather get eight hours of sleep and go to bed in the first quarter? Oh man, yeah, it's, I, you know I made this mistake a bunch. I, I get, I still, I still pull, pull for good games. I will, I will save some sleep for, for a good game once in a while. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> ah, very nice, very nice. Okay. <laughs> Um, here's another one. Um, be a part of history and go to the moon, maybe like with Elon Musk or maybe this new opportunity, right? But you got to get up early the next day and, uh, you know, it's almost impossible at this point to get eight hours of sleep. Maybe you're getting five. Uh, would you rather sleep and miss your flight to the moon or get five hours of sleep? Yeah, I think I'm going to the moon. Yeah. Okay. So very interesting. Sleep on the back. Sleep CEO. You know, (laughs) sleep guy. Skipping out on sleep. Very interesting. How about this one? This could be again. You might skip out on sleep. How about an all-paid vacation to Aruba for three days? But when you're in Aruba, you're only getting four hours of sleep. But it's all paid. You don't have to pay for anything. You're in Aruba three days, and it's the experience of a lifetime. When's the next time you're going to go to Aruba? You got that, or you could get eight hours all three nights and be where you are right now. So I'm there only for three days, though. Is that right? That's it. You only get three days. Yeah, I want to pass on Aruba. I'm gonna, <gasps> I'm gonna oh, wow. I'm going to come back at another juncture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back. Okay. okay. All right. Fair. All right. Well, not to brag, we went to Aruba, so it, you missed out on that. So. We did not get eight hours. Yeah, we for <laughs> sure. We were. I, that was the least amount of sleep I think I've got. Going back to like college kids not getting sleep, like we got no sleep on that trip, and we were there for like nine days. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Not good. Uh, all right. Um, here's another one. Um, <laughs> uh, this is great. Uh, so get eight hours of sleep the rest of your life or legalize marijuana in the United States. <laughs> the button's been skipped. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, I mean, it's called Would You Rather. So, I mean, we gave you two <laughs> options, not three. <laughs> all good. 
Um, uh, that, 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 uh, let's, let's give him time to answer. Yeah, so, jeez, uh, I'd get eight hours for myself or legalize marijuana for the rest of the United States. Yeah, you um, could be a part of history. Oh, wow. You're mean, the I reason just, they legalize marijuana. Yeah, you're the Martin Luther King of legalizing marijuana. This is so much pressure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it's coming anyways, so uh, I, I don't know. It's sort of like, do you just, uh, it's, it's, it's inevitable at some level. I'm not super in tune with it, but everything I hear seems like it's coming. So maybe I'd, uh, I could still get eight hours and do that. I, I don't see why they couldn't be like in parallel. You know, I could still get eight hours every night for the rest of my life and uh, help people who want that. So I, yeah, I, I'm indifferent, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> see that, see that's a much better quote. You just said pretty much I can get eight hours and change the world. So We'll Hold go on. ahead and quote that, and uh, that'll be our first Instagram post. Um, so that's perfect. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate that. But that concludes our game. Thanks for playing. It's one of our favorite things a part of the, about these interviews is we we throw in a little game at the end, kind of throw the interviewee off their uh, off their feet a little bit and catch them off guard. <laughs> so we'll finish up with two final questions. Uh, our first question is a bar story, and we gave you a little bit of a background in the questions we sent you, but we'll set the scene. Uh, a bar story is when you're sitting at the bar. Uh, on a Friday after work, and a stranger comes down and sits next to you, and you want to spark up a conversation with this guy, um, and you're going to tell him a story about yourself that is either interesting and exciting, uh, or will just keep his attention. Yeah, um, interesting or uh, exciting. So, a uh, recent one, I just finished a ultra marathon in uh, Northern California. It was pretty amazing. Uh, so we did that, and that was like a pretty awesome like life experience. We were in the redwoods and on the on the ocean coast for uh, every Mendocino. If anyone's ever been there, it's really beautiful. So that that was that was that was probably my, my most interesting thing recently, of recent memory. So yeah. So ultra marathon, how many miles again? This one was a fifty k, but it ended up being more like a fifty five k because like the courses aren't exactly ever fifty k. But yeah, so a little over a marathon, so like thirty five miles. And there's hills and stuff. I'm guessing because you're running in backcountry ish. Yeah, so you're running in the redwood forest. So there's hills and all sorts of beautiful sort of scenery on the ocean front. Like you're on these bluffs. Um, there's waterfalls. Just really incredible. So wow, that's crazy. When did you hit the wall? Uh, so this one, uh, I, this one was pretty good actually. This one, like I had like some gas left in the tank when I was done. So I, I think just training went well and, uh, it was just all in all like a good, it's like, a, it's like, you know, the air out there is so pure and full of oxygen too. Cause you're like running through these trees and there's like, you get this shot of adrenaline. So you just kind of, you're, it's like another world. Like I can't explain it. It's nothing. Right. It's, it's the most beautiful area. So. Here's, here's another good question. How many hours of sleep did you get before your race? Uh, I got uh, eight and a half or nine. You gotta um, go. Yeah, it's like nice. a steroid. Sleep is like a steroid. It'll improve your performance tenfold. There you go. For all the athletes out there, yeah, mm-hmm. hit it totally. It's, it's like the best natural performance enhancer without having to pay for it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, final question. Yeah, final question. Uh, so, from the time you woke up today and to to the time you're interviewing now with us, what did you learn today? You know, um, yeah, there's been a lot that I've learned today. Uh, so, I don't know, some interesting, like, facts, uh, we, what did I learn? Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm trying to think what's really interesting today. Oh, uh, learned that Disney has almost, like, 100,000 employees, uh, that work there, um, that service their parks. I don't know, that's sort of, like, a random bit of information. I'm trying to think of, like, really interesting things I learned today. That's perfect. I mean, we come up with a what did you learn at the end of every podcast, and, that's one that our our listeners will definitely appreciate. Do you want 
<laughs> Matt, do you want to learn something else? Yes, please. All right. How big do you think Africa is? Um, Africa. How is many relative to other, uh, rather other, other country? How continents? many countries could you fit in Africa? Jeez, I, so I think Africa is by far the largest, like like not continent. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a continent. Yeah, it's the largest continent by far, right? It's um, like uh, I don't know, maybe like two North Americas in there, three, mm. three North Americas. Mm. That's pretty good uh, estimate. Yeah. So we learned this today. Uh, it's well, actually, no, we learned it a long time ago, but we learned that United States, the United States, India. And the Great Britain and Eastern Europe all can fit in Africa. That's insane. The, Cong- the size of the Congo alone is slightly larger than the United States. Wow. Amazing. Here's another hot take. Uh, yeah. So with that, in Africa pop- is populated 1.2 billion. Okay. And then India, who can fit, you can fit like three or four Indias inside Africa, is populated 1.3 billion. So there are more people in India... Than there are in all of Africa, and That's the size mm-hmm. right, and the size of India is only one third larger than the United States, and the United States only has three three hundred thirty three million. Wow, that's amazing! A lot of stats coming at you. We just learned we learned this a while ago. And we we knew you'd appreciate it. I do appreciate it. I don't I don't think my stat is even remotely interesting compared to that. I gotta yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> But that's the conclusion of our interview. I mean, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and helping up our marketing interns, helping us as podcasters, always looking for more knowledge. So we appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for doing what you're doing, and thanks for interviewing, and uh, let us share a little about what we do. And, um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Berg, for coming on, giving your giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Phenomenal guest. I know our marketing interns appreciate it. Declan, anything you want to add to that? Let's not forget the hot takes he talked about with concussions. We, as ex-football players and ex-athletes, are on the hot seat now with do we let our kids play football? I mean, it's talked about way too much, and celebrities will come out and be like, I'm not letting my – like Drake comes out and says he's not letting his kid play football or Obama. I don't know. Anyways, we're on the hot seat now. We're a part of that conversation. What do we do? One thing I thought was um, enlightening to me because I'm just unfamiliar with really what concussions do to the brain and like the process of that, the recycling of the brain cells and the fact that the brain doesn't replenish those brain cells that just get wiped away. That's really scary. And that's probably, I mean, that's obviously the science behind why people lose cognitive movements and other stuff like that. Yeah, cognitive ability in Mm -hmm. general. Scary. Yeah, definitely scary, but... Hey, thanks for opening that book, that can of worms, Matt. And uh, Pandora's box has been opened. Pandora's now. box. I'm frightened. Yeah, we're in. We're we're on the hot seat now. So let's get after it. Let's get after this back end. Why not? So we're going with another sneaky secret segment. Sneaky, sneaky. So uh, here we go. What do we got? These secrets have been provided with again one of our favorite marketing interns, someone that's a big fan of the podcast, John and Sarah, my father. I mean, we're wearing Cornell shirts, not because of you, but you're part of it. Yeah, you definitely represent Cornell in some light, uh, so congratulations on graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister also goes there, too, so shout out to Rory as well. Anyways, what did John and Sarah have to say? He had three things to say. Um, I'll read the first one. Being self-aware of your average quality. Well, hold on, let's back up real quick. Okay. What was the premise of the things he was providing, the three things? Yes, so the overall arching theme was um, 
embodying our average qualities and figuring out a way how to niche that down and express that in a very fundamental way to our marketing interns. Yes, I agree. And expanding on that more so creating a purpose behind the content we produce. We can talk about sleep. We can talk about, you know, our average quality, but what does that actually mean? And How does o- that affect the back pocket mantra? And not only on the podcast are verbatim verbally talking about it, but actually our action behind it when we're not live on air, when we're not being recorded. This is the stuff behind the scenes that I think really need to be um, taken a step further. Mm-hmm. And should we read through them or should we just yeah, kind of... let's okay. read through them. Sure. I'll, I'll start off, like I mentioned before, being self-aware of your average qualities will eventually allow you to turn the ordinary into extraordinary. And I think that's the message, right? That's something that when that's the connecting, that's how you get that listener to commit to your podcast. And that's the extraordinary for us, because if you get one avid listener, which is a committed marketing intern, he's going to be influenced by the things we say. And we do that through our average qualities, turning that ordinary stuff, that ordinary person and giving them the ability, the influence to do the extraordinary. So I love that point. Second point Routinely acknowledging and recognizing your average qualities is fuel for your humility engine. And I think when he speaks about that, we do a great job of recognizing how we've failed and where we need to improve. And the, I guess and only t- taking that even to another level and showing more motion and more action behind it because really our average qualities come down to we failed at this, we're going to try it this way, let's see if it works out. Yeah. That type of mentality. So yeah. the routine of that, the, the habitual mantra of that. I, yeah, I also like the part that where it's just humble. Like, there's never a bad time to be humble. And I think when we're humble, that's another way to connect with our listeners because we're not putting ourselves above the the listener. We're with their, we're with the listener, battling through, going through the same struggles. Hopefully, that other people have. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is the best version of yourself will never be revealed without embracing your average qualities every day. Which is what I love. This is what the podcast has done to us. When I go to work or I do something and I, I go, I cook or something, I do something new or just in my day to day life, I'm always, my brain is locked into the thing I'm doing. But when I don't do it well, I'm like, boom, that's an average quality right there. I lock it in. I either say it on the podcast, I write it down, or I think, oh, it's always on my mind and I'm not going to stop thinking about it until I'm better the next time. And another part of that is kind of where our position statement is being directed towards. Um, We've really narrowed down to hitting home the market of people that our interviewees all have this inner sense of entrepreneurship, motivating and influencing um, our audience. And they've done it themselves and they realized early on most of them or the majority of them, if not all, have talked about how they failed at something and they realized they needed to get better at it. They were average at it at that time, and then they improved on it, and that's how they became successful. Yeah, and I think the content of our growth, if you are wanting to be a committed marketing intern, you can really track that growth because we failed, because we've tried to make that those failures into successes, or at least learn from those failures. So it's all kind of a big full circle. We love it. Great sneaky secret saying, I think that was our best one yet. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John and Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you, John. And trapping the puck. Our committed marketing interns really know how we hit home. They've seen our growth, but they know we're consistent with a what did you learn and a feel-good story. So, Decky Brown, take it away. All right. First thing I have, I learned this today. Black bears have an incredible, bears in general, but black bears more so, have an incredible sense of smell. Biologists have studied the bear's nose 
and it, and it can smell layers at a time. So, or in, and it's incorporated with time. So it can pretty much smell time. And let me explain. So if we're on the street and we smell um, a pizza place making pizza two blocks away, the bear smells that, but the bear also smells the lady with perfume that was walking there 20 minutes ago. And it smells the skunk that was killed or ran over two days ago. And it can track and harness all that memory. And if the bear's brain was big enough to harness that like a human, that would be basically understanding time and understanding what was going on at that certain time. But it, the bear can't process that, so it uses it as information for tracking. So if it sees, if it smells like deer poop, it'll go there and then know where the next trail was. And then it basically can connect the dots from time to time and then eventually grab its prey. Where and so the biologists have actually just t- like looked at the bear nose as a like as if it were a human and then associated that with time. So I thought that was super cool. That's awesome. That's a hell of a golden nugget. Marketing interns, please utilize that at your next dinner party because I mean you're gonna blow away any guest, yeah, any why not? any any patron there. Um, uh, my, what did I learn? I learned, so I'm reading this book, Captain Class. Yes, I read books, not to brag. I also uh, read books. We all, yeah, we're book readers. We're bookworms. Uh, what did I learn? Well, there's this quote from uh, Roy Kane, the Manchester United captain. Okay. Um, from 97 to 05. He said, we live in a make-believe world created by the media, which is largely, not entirely fiction. The fictional hero is often an asshole. So the media will, it just loves to portray... Kanye West. Yes. Sure. Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any, anyone who's an asshole, pretty much? Yeah. Okay. And then why is that exactly? Because that's who they want. That's where they believe the limelight is directed towards. That's who they think makes the team, makes the song, makes the industry. But really, it's the person that is the Gruden grinder. That's the go-getter mentality. He's the one that is really the hero. Behind closed doors, essentially. Yes. Okay, I like that. And that's kind of like where the captain class, that's the book where that's directed towards. But that quote really hit home because, you know, that's kind of what, uh, yeah. The What's average it? guy is not always appreciated. Yes. The grinder's not always appreciated, but it makes a difference. Thank you. What also is about to make a difference is our feel-good story. So this one's a little different. This is a curveball. We're throwing it at the marketing interns here. Andrew and I are going to read an article titled podcast industry stalls after entire audience acquires a mattress and a website. This is full copyright by fortune.com. We have no rights to this. Fortune.com owns the rights to this article. Now let's do a little, want to do popcorn read? Sure. All right. I popcorn Declan. All right. Media's favorite medium is in danger of extinction. Uh, Into the mic, Declan, into the mic. Through a series of different, Oh, okay. So just restart? Yeah. Okay. Media's favorite... Hold me- on, let me popcorn you. Sorry. I popcorn Declan. Media's favorite medium is in danger of extinction. Through a series of diffuse and effective advertising campaigns, every listener of every podcast now has both mattress, a mattress, and a personal website. As a result, advertising revenue for the podcast industry is in danger of drying up completely. Popcorn Andrew. Podcast hosts across the globe are beginning to panic, unsure how to stay financially afloat now that their entire audience has a comfortable, affordable mattress and an easy-to-use website. They can be edited without writing a single line of HTML. This is a quote. My whole livelihood is at stake. 
Why must I suffer because someone took a look at the mattress industry, had the bright idea of cutting out the middleman and selling directly to the to the consumer? Said Eric Whedon, host of a weekly Game of Thrones recap podcast. I don't want to go back to my office job. End quote. As financially uncertainty becomes a real threat to the long form audio format of storytelling. This widespread sense of dread and panic is now all too common in podcast hosts. Another quote here. I'm not sure how all seven of my listeners got a mattress and a website, but this is not looking good for the future of the Monday Frozen Pizza Review, said Brianne Aronson, host of a podcast in which she reviews assorted frozen pizzas every Monday. In a joint statement penned by Casper's Casper Mattresses and Squarespace, the two companies confirmed that they would withdraw all current advertising sponsors across a total of 4,300 podcasts. This is a dream come true. We've achieved complete market saturation in this space, so it is time to move on. We understand this will be a difficult time for independent creatives, but we hope the rest they rest easy on a breathable, comfort foam mattress, and they find comfort in knowing it's never been easier for anyone to make their own website. I think we're screwed, Doc. We're so screwed. So I hope everyone realizes that that was a satirical article written by Fortune.com. I'll be honest, like reading it through out loud the second time, I'm like, wow, how did I not catch on to this? Like I read it through when he first sent it to me. I was like, oh my God, we're so screwed. Mm-hmm. I own a mattress and we started a podcast with like, yeah, we had some troubles, but like it was fairly easy. I I totally bit the bullet right away, and I read this article. How did you find this, by the way? I just go- I googled. Um, you know, as podcasters, we need to follow up with the industry trends. So this morning, as I do every morning, I Google podcast industry trends, and this article came up, and I read through it. And I, and on the at the top, it literally says humor satire from Fortune, but I skip skip that right away. Go straight to what the article says because the headline made me panic. Read the whole thing, and I was like. I, I think deck I think we're screwed. I think we 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 both bought mattresses in the recent years, and we both started a website, and we were podcast. on Squarespace on Squarespace. <laughs> like the, all the ads are being pulled. We're screwed. We're not going to be able to financially stable ourselves like our dream is to become. Granted, we're no profit now, but now we're really no profit if this happens. So and I and then I like got to the top, and I, and at the very bottom it says more satire from Fortune. Click here. I was like. Oh, <laughs> I gotta send this to Deck and see if he, if he, what he thinks. And I guess and so. You said, I, yeah. yeah, so I go to the show notes in our Google Doc, which is now sixty-nine pages long, and I'm like reading through. I'm like, whoa, what's we have an article for our feel-good story? So and Andrew, you're like, when I got home from work, you're like, hey, make sure make sure you read the notes. I'm like, all right. So I read it, you know, did my research, reading the whole thing, still like fooled this whole time. Like this makes no sense because this is exactly opposite from everything that's happened, but like the things they're talking about, about people buying mattresses and podcast equipment and uh, a website. I'm like, Oh my God, this is us. This is like totally us. We're screwing up. This is not good. Like we're in the top hundred, at least I was like, all right, at least we got that going for us. And then obviously I saw that same tagline at the bottom. I'm like, all right, this is a phenomenal feel good story. At the end of the day, be humbled. We got humbled marketing interns, take an opportunity to humble yourself Lighten up every once in a while, you know? It's always good for a little bit of humor, a little bit of good laughs. I know uh, we try to make you laugh every once in a while, but we don't. I, I wouldn't say we try. We're naturally goofy dudes, and I think um, people enjoy it. Put it that way. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Go, uh, go take on this future week right now. 
with a little bit of lightheartedness. Have a good time. Have a blast. Get ready for Podcast 53. Who do we got next week? We have Johnny Stafko, phenomenal guest, very inspirational. He's the man. See you guys next week. Take care. Love you guys. Take care.